Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Mark Papermaster, the CTO at AMD, and we discuss what it takes to stay ahead of the competition in a hyper-competitive space, a preview of what's to come with their Zen 3 architecture, and how open and candid conversations are the foundation of a healthy culture. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hello, hello. Hi, Joel. How are you? Fantastic, Mark. How are you doing? I'm doing great. This is going to be excellent. We're going to have a lot of fun today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Look at that background. Is that the, that's the AMD campus right there? It is. I, I chose that as my, uh, my virtual background. And, and honestly, I'm in Austin today, uh, which is where that campus is. We're, we're, we're in uh, Santa Clara. We're in Austin and we're, we're uh, you know, multinational. But uh, that is what the weather looks like in Austin today. It's a very nice day. You're Bay Area based, Joel? I am. Yeah, I'm in Tampa area, but we're actually, oh, yeah, we're actually, uh, well, Tampa Bay. Yeah. Um, but we're actually looking to move out to uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. So we're going to be out there in about two weeks. Oh, great. Welcome to Texas. Yeah. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Have you been there long? Oh, yeah. I'm, um, I, I've been away. I've been in the Northeast for a period of years. I was, I, we just moved back from California. Um, it's still split time a bit, but for the last uh, almost three years, we've been mostly back in Texas. And I'm a University of Texas grad. I love love the state. I hope I hope you love it. Yeah, I have uh, family from Lubbock, and so they talk about it a lot. But uh, I haven't been out there too much. I've traveled through it, but I'm excited. So we're gonna be out there for you know two weeks. We're gonna explore. Uh, see what's going on. We have two little ones. So it's, uh, it's going to be an exciting adventure for, for the family. So how long have you been at AMD? I've been at AMD nine years. I've been in the industry over 35 years, but nine years as CTO and running our uh, engineering efforts here. What got you involved with technology to begin with? Well, that's a great question. I've always loved technology. I was, um, you know, just always uh, loved it, uh, you know, gadget guy uh, as a kid growing up, and I did uh, a summer job uh, working uh, with actually a cancer researcher who was a, an electrical engineer and was just showing me all the ways that, that actually being an engineer, working with the data, you know, helping solve disease. I thought that was fascinating, and that's what uh, I ended up majoring on in, in uh, school at University of Texas. I was an electrical engineering major, and um, I've just uh, been so fortunate to work uh, in and around technology my whole career. Oh, yeah. So did you ever do anything else with, uh, I mean, I guess you're at AMD now, so you make processors that will then be training algorithms to then help find, you know, uh, cures to diseases. So it's kind of coming full circle. It is. I wish I could be uh, solving, uh, you know, the, those type of tough problems that, uh, you know, creating uh, new medicines, vaccines for the pandemic and and on, but at least uh, we do play, I, I think, a very significant role in uh, providing the uh, kind of technology that can uh, speed the efforts of the scientists. Yeah, that must. So that that gives like a nice sense of purpose. Does that come out like corporately? Do you guys talk about that to your employees? We do. Uh, in fact, we're very active uh, in in um, actually assisting directly uh, scientists, uh, academic institutions. We just donated over 12 petaflops of supercomputing capability to 21 uh, universities and research institutions to speed uh, you know the research around the pandemic whether it be 
uh, vaccines themselves, uh, molecular dynamic studies, even even social uh, activity that uh, could you know affect the spread of the disease. So uh, the, the computing is going to, I think, be put to excellent use, and our employees know that uh, we're very active um, in supporting that, and they know how important our technology is in this regard. That's pretty interesting. So I want to make sure I understand that right. So you, these, uh, a lot of computing, <laughs> I won't remember the exact number, um, a lot of computing you donated, but are you guys in the business of, of being able to do that? Or is that something that you had to spin up and create for this specific scenario? We're definitely in the, the business of supercomputers and that's the engines underneath. So uh, you know, you think about the, the, the high performance products that we do, CPU, GPUs, uh, specialized semi-custom implementations. They span everything from game consoles, the new game consoles uh, coming out this uh, this fall from Sony and from Microsoft, um, you know, PCs, uh, uh, you know, to servers, all the, you know, all the way, uh, you know, ga- gaming uh, devices that, that people use, all the way to supercomputers uh, like the uh, most recent um, uh, announcements from the uh, U.S. Department of Energy, where uh, an award was given to uh, AMD for our CPU and GPU, and working with Hewlett Packard Enterprise to uh, develop supercomputers. It'll be the largest in the world starting next year. That is exciting. So then, will people like today? And correct me if I'm misunderstanding this. So today, can people go like like a cloud service and use your supercomputers? They do. Clouds are just now uh, starting to do that. Joel, it used to be just the, you know, massive national labs at the various countries that could afford to put up these supercomputers. And and it was uh, for in national interest, but they typically open it up for scientists in those countries or even internationally to get it to those supercomputers. But it is very interesting that you, that you say, well, can people just rent time? And that's what hyperscalers, the big you know, uh, companies, you know, there'd be, you know, AWS and, and Microsoft and, uh, you know, and Google and, and uh, you know, uh, Oracle, IBM and so on. And that's just, uh, that's just U.S., same thing internationally. They're now standing up supercomputers that people can rent time. And so it just makes it easier for, uh, you know, scientists, but also students and, and others to get access to that kind of computing that used to just be uh, at these massive national labs. So do you, is it like a partnership with these large companies like Amazon Web Services and all of these, or can you actually go to amd.com and like spin up a supercomputer? Yeah, so we're the technology provider. So whether it be those big hyperscalers or whatever, you know, we, we partner with, um, with systems companies to build up those supercomputers. So it's, it's, it's not uh, amd.com where you can get that supercomputing, uh, but it is as simple as uh, logging into one of those uh, cloud services and you know, just searching for the kind of capability you need and um, getting an account and, and away you go. Oh, that's exciting. Yes, it's it was truly an exciting development. So I read a little bit about you leading the redesign of the engineering process. And I was just curious, you know, open, broad question, like how do you come into an organization of that size and change it? Well, uh, I've always had a I uh, had a great relationship with AMD over my years. So I was 35 years in the business. I've been at IBM. I've been at uh, Apple and Cisco before nine years ago, taking this role as a CTO and running our technology and engineering. And um, AMD always had such a storied history of innovation. But what we found ourselves as, uh, as I joined, as Lisa Sue joined, our CEO, 
uh, what we uh, found was uh, that what we had to do is marry with that uh, incredibly uh, innovative spirit that was and, and is stronger than ever at AMD, uh, a, a different kind of R&D process that would allow AMD to never miss a beat, to, you know, to be uh, out there at every cycle. So every, every technology has a refresh cycle. It might be annual. It might be every 18 months uh, where, you know, you've got to come out with that next generation. And so we did have to retool engineering uh, to make sure that, you know, that it could, uh, you know, that AMD would, would in fact uh, be on that regular cadence and, and not, have a, not have a slip. Uh, so it, it's, it is a big challenge, but a, but a, a great challenge because what it is, um, you know, my sense uh, and certainly what I tried to do with the team was get goal alignment, uh, really um, get everyone to where they bought into not only to the vision of uh, what we need to be, but the key levers that if we if we could implement these key levers, uh, then it could change the way in which we ran development going forward. Uh, so we spent a lot of time up front on the goal alignment. What are what are the challenges? Engineer uh, engineering is about problem solving, and and what people sometimes miss is uh, sometimes the biggest challenge is to frame the problem correctly so that uh, so that the thought leaders can get their head around it and get those innovative juices of solving the right thing. And then you have to give the team space. You have to create an environment where they can innovate, an environment where they can collaborate an environment where they can, uh, you know, really, really communicate without fear, right? You, you don't want to, you know, you don't want the messenger being shot. So it was really all those elements. It was, you know, setting the right goals, uh, setting the right uh, processes, even how we organized the teams, Joel. We, we set up to where, uh, you know, that uh, we wouldn't just be working on the very next processor, for instance, that we shipped. We'd be working on one generation and the next and then could leapfrog. And one team finishes, you leapfrog. And, and that way you ensure a continuity of that innovation uh, development machine. No, it sounds brilliant. Um, so I was actually, I was talking with Paul over at Fox. Um, he says he feels like that processors are a space that if you stand still, you go backwards very quickly. How do you stay ahead? Yeah, no question. Um, you look at what's going on in processors, the capability is doubling about every two years, about every, you know, I'll call it two and a quarter years. So you can't stand still. You have to have an innovation pipeline. And it's a great question because it used to be that uh, the bulk of where you drove that processor development came from the semiconductor technology. You know, you'd look at that new semiconductor technology and that alone would allow you to uh, shrink the chip uh, so you could add more transistors. You could be at the same, same price range Right, so whatever you're, you know, you could keep your product at about the same price range, uh, and you could really increase the speed at which it, it ran, the frequency. So all everything kind of rose uh, up generation to generation. Uh, but it it's not that same equation anymore. Transistors are actually becoming more expensive. Uh, we're getting down to where uh, the the very transistor that makes up of uh, the base, the foundation of a of a microprocessor or a graphics processor. Is, is only becoming you know several molecules of thickness of the what's called the gate the, the the what you know the switch of the transistor and so you really as you start getting these uh, molecular limits uh, it becomes more expensive innovation will keep semiconductor technology uh, continuing to go forward so we'll still get more transistors we'll pack in every generation uh, but you don't get the same frequency the same speed increase 
uh, and the costs are going up. So it doesn't matter. The, the customers demand, as you said, that you get more and more performance every generation. So for those of us in the industry, that just means more innovation. We're innovating with, uh, you know, how we design more features to give you more performance on top of that. We're, we're innovating around power management. We just had a huge initiative uh, at AMD to uh, increase our energy efficiency 25 times uh, from 2014 to 2020. And we achieved that goal. I'm very proud of what the team did. Uh, so whether it be design for performance, design for energy efficiency, you 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 absolutely can't uh, miss a generation. You cannot stand still, and uh, we're incredibly focused on that at AMD. I love the way you talk. So much passion. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, in our business, you have to have a passion. Uh, it's it's very hard what we do, but we'll find uh, as you talk to those of us in uh, in chip design, uh, it's it is all about passion. And then that, that desire and drive to, to keep moving forward, you know, what you were talking about, uh, discussing how they get smaller and smaller and smaller, and there's got to be some sort of limit. I think you call it like the gate or the switch. There's some sort of like physics limit. What happens next? Are there going to be like new methods of creating these uh, processors? There are indeed. I, you know, I, because I've been around a while, I've already hit about two or three times where uh, someone declared... Uh, the end of semiconductor uh, advances because we, we hit a hard wall and and uh, you know it just engineers uh, it's their very uh, makeup their their psychological makeup anytime there's a wall put in front of them it's like a challenge it's a uh, you know figure out how you climb over the wall you go around the wall you you know you find a way to blast right through the wall but that's what engineers do and that's what's happening in the on the semiconductor front so uh, you're right, we are just getting down to a few molecules thick, but now uh, there's innovations on different types of materials, uh, you know, that you can actually build up that semiconductor. Uh, it's, it's moving uh, three-dimensional. It's uh, even, the, you know, the very uh, structures that are being used are changing. So there just is not a lack of innovation. And, and so, we, you know, we see breakthroughs on the horizon. That is exciting. Yeah, I, my mind works like that too. I see the wall and like, how do I go over it, under it, through it? And then uh, when I interact like with my wife, I remember that <laughs> sometimes they just <laughs> want to talk about the wall. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we're, we're, not, we're not trying to problem solve the wall. We're just talking about how the wall exists. That's what we need to do right now. <laughs> so any, any technologies that you're specifically excited about? Like if you had to, to guess uh, what would come next or what's the most realistic uh, moonshot type deal. What what technology do you think that would be? Well, before before the moonshot, uh, you're seeing a change of foot right now, uh, and that is uh, something that we uh, pioneered at, at AMD really uh, ten years ago, and that is starting to put CPUs and GPUs together. So you know the GPU. Think about you know if you're a gamer, uh, you buy a you buy your CPU and then you buy your your GPU and you you pick and you choose. What we've started uh, started doing 10 years ago is integrating very tightly the CPU and GPU. And you've seen, uh, you've seen that in, uh, for instance, uh, you know, the, the PCs that come out now, you, you can uh, put in uh, an additional graphics uh, chip, but the, the performance has gotten so high with the integrated uh, GPU that we have with our CPU, that you don't have to. You can get AAA game titles that play beautifully uh, just in, in a single chip because it's integrated so well. The functions you know, that want to be in a CPU or a GPU and how you manage and get the best performance uh, wherever the 
the, the, the software application or game that you're running wants to be. Uh, and, and that's growing. And so game consoles, of course, deploy that, uh, that same approach. And now we're moving the, that same type of what we call heterogeneous computing. Uh, you know, it's different. It's not just one type of engine. It's a, you know, a central processor, a CPU, a graphics processor, a GPU. It's other dedicated accelerators and coming together on heterogeneous computing. So uh, you're seeing that in those supercomputers that I just described to you. Uh, those are built with a CPU and GPU that are designed to work very, very closely together. Uh, you know, when, when you're a programmer, you don't have to think, am I programming for the CPU or GPU and manage where I'm storing the data? Uh, it's what's called coherent, meaning it's all sharing the same uh, uh, address where you store the data. So this programmer speak, uh, for it's you know, it's making it easier for them to code, uh, leveraging this new type of, uh, of approach of putting engines together. So that's that's not even, you know, far future. That's what we're doing now. Uh, and it's very, very exciting. And that's going to take us uh, to the next decade of, of enhancements of these type of heterogeneous uh, computing approaches. And then beyond that, uh, it, it, it's going to be more and more what I call accelerators. Uh, so what's an accelerator? It, it works with that general easy to use programming device, uh, but things that need incredible computation, can you send it off to that device? Uh, of course, we're using uh, you know GPUs and programmable gate arrays and specialized application specific ICs for that today, but you'll eventually see quantum computing where you know where you you operate at extremely low temperatures you you know you you have just breakthrough kind of computing uh that that can be an accelerator so you could be doing your general tasks and the kind of uh computing we're developing day today and then send off you know the most difficult problems to quantum computing uh, where it can calculate a result and send it back so again uh joel there's just so much innovation coming uh, and I'm such a geek. We're so excited. Uh, to be honest with you, the entire like company over here, we've got about you know, 10, 15 employees has just been buzzing on our Slack uh, for, your, for your arrival. Uh, Jake, our producer, is like a huge fan. He's like, he builds his own computers and he always uses the AMD stuff. And I told him, I said, look, I know you have a hundred technical questions, <laughs> like details about product releases. But let's just put that on the side and just have a, have a nice conversation with Mark. And then you can send him an email after if you have some, some really highly detailed questions. But uh, I was kind of curious, are you guys building like any quantum computing or how do you, how do you look at quantum computing? Well, right now we are, uh, we're building out what I call that heterogeneous, uh, uh, computing infrastructure. So the way that uh, we're doing, we're, we're working with uh, quantum is uh, we want to be what I call the best hub uh, for a quantum accelerator. So we're uh, designing, you know, our computing such that it's very easy uh, to attach. We we uh, create uh, many uh, connection lanes so you could connect up to an accelerator like quantum compute. Our whole software approach, Joel, is open source. Uh, we want, you know, whether it be academia, whether it's industry. Uh, we want to be able to uh, uh, partner with everyone out there to develop, uh, you know, a, a software approach that uh, that everyone can innovate on. And we want that to extend, you know, out all the way through uh, as quantum becomes uh, more prevalent uh, in its deployment. Uh, so that's that's how we see ourselves. We'd like to be a glue for collaboration in the industry and have a platform that makes it very, very easy to collaborate. That sounds really smart. It reminds me of um, like Elon Musk open sourcing his patents on the batteries so that everyone kind of move them forward or buy them. It seems like your approach to open source will allow you to remain competitive and 
I mean, also since it's open source, you could attract talent that way, right? Through seeing who contributes and who's doing things. I, I really like that model. It creates a whole innovation community. It's, it, it's, it's a proven model. It just works. Yeah, life is better together, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when you got to do, I happen to have an Xbox. I like, I play maybe 30 minutes a week of video games just to go blow off some steam sometimes. And I was curious, when you got to do those partnerships, did you personally get to be involved with like meeting with the Xbox teams or was that just someone else on the team? No, we, uh, uh, you know, as we got uh, the, the whole dialogue going, I certainly was involved with the leadership uh, with uh, both Microsoft uh, and with Sony. Uh, and it was, a, it was, again, I'll go back to the theme we were just on. Uh, it was about, you know, co-innovation and collaboration. Uh, you know, what, what did we need? You know, what did we need to do? What, what were the uh, what were the goals? Uh, we, then we, we created our own group, a separate group that worked with Sony, a separate group that worked with Microsoft. And they, of course, did the engineering. I don't I don't claim uh, uh, anything to do with the uh, amazing engineering that was done uh, across that uh, collaboration, uh, because that's done at a very, very detailed level. But I, I, it, the results are, are phenomenal. When you look at uh, that generation that, um, you know, was out there. Uh, with uh, Xbox, uh, you know, X and Series X and, uh, and the PlayStation 4. And think about gaming when the, the physics is being calculated real time. It used to be that when you played games uh, and anyone had hair that, you know, they, the character in your game was going, they typically used to have skull caps. Well, in, in that generation of gaming, you, the, the, the math, the physics is running. It's calculating what does the hair look like when it's blowing in the wind and in that uh, generation of games, you, you see it. Uh, now with this next generation coming out, uh, it's even beyond that. It'll, it'll include, this is with our, our Radeon uh, DNA2. It's our, it's our latest in a graphics processing architecture. And it includes also, in addition, even more rapid processing of all that math to give you beautiful imaging. It also has ray tracing and right, in, right in the chip. So as the light is bouncing around, you know, from, from the sun and what is it reflecting off of water or a car in your car chase, it's mimicking the actual light rays and, and, how, and, and how they behave in real life. It's calculating it and it's rendering it right back to you. And so it's incredibly lifelike. I saw a demo of Unreal Engine, like their next version coming out on like a YouTube video. And they were talking about all those points and polygons. And I'm not an engineer over there. My experience is more in like the B2B business logic space, but I still can geek out over there. And I was blown away by all the points. They were talking about like billions of points and they were doing the dynamic sun and the hair and the wind and showing all of the environmental changes in real time. And, and that stuff's only possible with, you know, amazing chips, right? Behind them. Absolutely. No, it's, it's, it's tremendous processing power under, underneath. Can you give me, this This might be a tough one, I don't know, but can you give me, uh, like, explain to me as if I'm a small child, like exactly what a processor is or what it does? Sure. So what, what you're doing, all of us think about uh, processing from the standpoint of the, in, the application we run. Uh, you're on a smartphone, you're just running an app, you're, you're on your PC and you're, you're uh, doing a uh, video conference like we're doing at, uh, at today, but you know you're playing a game, you're creating a a a, a document. All of that uh, is a program that you're running. 
So someone created that application. They wrote the code. Uh, they created that application. They probably did it at a very high level programming language like C or C++. Or maybe they used, uh, you know, Python. That's becoming, you know, very prevalent. A number of new uh, languages coming up. But they wrote at the high level uh, because that's your most productive way uh, to to create an application. Uh, what we what we do uh, at AMD and, and and our processors is we make it easy to translate from that program that you wrote into the best possible performance and the best possible experience. So we think about how do you take that program. Uh, break it down into low-level instructions. We run on our processor. That's called a compiler. So it takes the, you know, it takes the program. It's compiled. Uh, it runs on our processor, and then we we do the lifting from there. So we take those instructions. We optimize. We run it as as fast as possible. Uh, does it run on a CPU? Does it run on a GPU? Make sure it's optimized for both. Get the, get the answer back as quickly as possible. It has to be 100% correct. We spend on an amazing amount of money and focus and engineering uh, innovation to make sure that every chip we goes out uh, goes out is exactly right and performs those calculations as as expected, and that it delivers the best experience. Uh, that experience would be, uh, you know, uh, we have uh, the the whole set of of coding to send it to your display. Um, we have uh, the things we've done like FreeSync, such that as you if you're watching a game, you don't get any. Uh, any tearing of the image, any any uh, stuttering going on, uh, if it's if it's uh, you know running on on the computer that we've uh, that it's just a pure calculation that it's Excel uh, that typically the best experience there is to get you that result uh, with the highest possible performance. So you know we we think about uh, our role at, at AMD and other processor vendors. We're we're that uh, engine under the covers, so that uh, when you're running that application, you just you just love it, uh, and it, you, you're 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 really pleased if you bought a new product from a previous generation. Uh, that it's just it's faster. If it has graphics, it's just uh, you know much more lifelike going forward. And so that that's our our role in the in the food chain is to provide better and better computing computing and give people a better better experience. And then you guys have a new architecture coming out this month, right? We do. We've got uh, two products we're launching. Uh, one later this week, uh, new uh, CPU architecture. We have a family of high-performance CPUs called Zen uh, that part of the whole turnaround of AMD is uh, re-architecting our development process, re-architecting our CPUs to be the highest of performance. And this is the third generation of Zen coming out. And it's, a uh, uh, you know, the, the designers, I couldn't be more proud of them. They just made changes around almost every aspect of the computing uh, to make it, uh, just per my previous comment, uh, run better, run faster, give a better experience, be a better gaming processor. Uh, so we've got more details on that coming out uh, this week. Uh, and and, the, and the, that architecture will be coming out in uh, uh, leadership, rising uh, desktop processors this fall. And then on the graphics side, uh, it is our second generation of uh, Radeon DNA. That's the graphics architecture that will be uh, coming out in the, the new uh, PlayStation uh, the new uh, Microsoft uh, Xbox Series X uh, this this uh, this fall, uh, and it'll be coming out in our uh, next uh, uh, Radeon uh, graphics product that we'll be announcing on October 28th. So yeah, two uh, two big announcements coming up this month. Who who picks the names for these products like Radeon? You know that's a a, a great point. I 
I love watching that name process. It's really, uh, I, I personally just love the process. I'm, I'm never the one that's, uh, that, that's trying to uh, pick the name. I, 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 I like it best when the team picks it. So you think about Zen, our whole family of processors. That was our code name, our internal code name is before, you know, not a single marketing person was involved uh, and the, the team named, uh, in, you know, named it uh, Zen. Our lead architect actually named it, uh, named it Zen and it stuck. Everyone loved it. And so when by the time the marketing team came along, they said, we're going with Zen. And then we played off of that to create Ryzen, uh, which, which is our, uh, you know, our, our brand name uh, there. Uh, and, and likewise, when you look at uh, Epic for servers, when you look at uh, Radeon and, and our products there, um, you know, it's generally a mix of typically the engineers being engaged. Look at our Ryzen Threadripper. Uh, they call it Threadripper because it's just such a beast. Uh, that was, you know, just 100% named by the uh, engineering team. Uh, so it, it's, it's, always, uh, it's always very fun watching the naming process play out. I love the, the, the strong engineering culture over there. Sounds like you guys have a great, great group of people together. We're an engineering company at, at heart and uh, everyone just, uh, again, they love what, the, what they do in it. And uh, it, I think it's actually our, our, one of our uh, secrets at AMD. It, it is about our culture. It is, it is that uh, people really uh, love the innovation process here and work very, very well together. Yeah, it's like a competitive advantage, right? Definitely. So in this market, I, I have another guest question, and this is from a financial person. I don't know why I said it like that. It's like, oh, it's from, a, it's from an investor person. <laughs> now I'm not going to put their name. <laughs> Sorry, Nigel. Yeah, so Nigel from T. Rowe Price. <laughs> uh, he says that the industry looks like a classic race to zero and a commoditized space. But at the same time, there are a lot of niche uses, uh, where the margins for the processors and innovation will remain high. Like, how do you think about that? Well, uh, there's always a race to, you know, to commoditization. So uh, you just look at any industry, um, you know, there's a, a desire for commoditization because it makes whatever that product is more available to people. Uh, so, you know, we are, uh, we are about trying to get computing to the masses. Uh, we want to get more efficiency of our, of our computing. But put your put your financial cap on, uh, and of course you need you need to return to shareholders. You need to you need to have a, a sound financial basis. Uh, we we spend hundreds and hundreds of uh, millions of dollars each year uh, in terms of our R and D uh, expense. And so uh, what we do to make sure that we bring the financial uh, return to our shareholders is make sure that as we're providing uh, value, that it is differentiated, that, um, you know, that uh, rather than uh, pure commoditization, uh, that, that although we, we've done everything we can to do and make it affordable, uh, we need our product better. We want to have the highest performance, the best ease of use, the best uh, uh, ability to integrate our technology in tailored solutions like those game consoles I, de I described. Uh, those are all things that allow us uh, to leverage a, a, a base commodity like an x86 processor, but the way we implement it, uh, have it command value. Value the same thing with our, our graphics processing. It's got to it's got to bring a value that people are willing to pay for. Uh, so that that's uh, that's how you differentiate yourself when you compete and and what certainly is uh, a, a race to commoditization. 
I'm glad I asked that question. I debated in the in the prep call for this, like whether we're whether I was going to ask that or not. But then I was like, you know what? This guy, so experienced and so professional, I bet you he's just going to knock it out of the park. <laughs> you did. Thank you. Uh, I I love uh, talking about uh, you know this whole area. So you're going to be hard pressed, Joel, to find a a question that I'm going to uh, not enjoy ta- chatting with you about. I don't want to. I just want to have a great conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So what, what is like the biggest uh, problem slash opportunity that exists today in the processor space? Well, you know, I think um, one of the big challenges uh, goes back to what I said earlier, the fact that uh, it's getting uh, harder to just you uh, rely on a process technology and have some design innovation, the degree of design innovation to keep uh, processing going f- uh, forward at the historical rate that I, I described it, a doubling uh, a, about every two years, two plus years, uh, it does mean that you're having to specialize more on what is that uh, application that's being run. So there's more specialization uh, if uh, it is uh, gaming. There's more specialization if it's supercomputing and artificial intelligence. Uh, there's more specialization if it's not in, necessarily in a data center, but what's called the edge of the data center, uh, right? Uh, you know, at the base of a of a cell tower with 5G emerging and and about to create this massive pipeline of of uh, data flow across the world, uh, and and uh, onwards into em- embedded devices. You already see that with all these Internet of Things. Uh, you know, that that's an area, you know, we've not uh, we've chose not to play um, uh, is, let's say, a processor on a thermostat that's on the wall uh, or embedded in your refrigerator that 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 we believe, you know, is, in fact, already highly commoditized. Uh, but it is the challenge is that uh, what what you're seeing is a development uh, where more and more specialized computing is needed. I like that, right? And then that way, because it's all about how you, how you mentioned earlier, market and value and being mm-hmm. useful to others is the is the way you grow a business, right? And so yeah. your expertise and being able to do things like dedicate a team to help make a processor specialized for like a healthcare specific use, right? That's going to be very, very useful. Yeah, we did that. The other thing I probably didn't mention uh, that I should have, is uh, we also have designed in a modularity with what we do. So as you need to tailor, as you need to specialize, uh, we've uh, you know changed our engineering approach to be highly modular. So it allows us to customize for a given compute application without having to start at ground zero and construct it you know transistor uh, by transistor as a as a new and different product. We can leverage our work that we've done. I love it. Can we talk a little bit about like professional development? Is that okay? Yeah. So you were at IBM for like 20, 26 years. Is that correct? That's right. All right. So I was trying to come up with like the most valuable thing to ask because 26 years is a long time. And so I want to know what is, what is the one takeaway you have from that entire experience? Well, you know, IBM uh, at, at that time was, I think, one of the uh, storied companies in terms of driving a very rigorous employee development and training. And so, you know, I'm very appreciative of the kind of training I, I, I had. I early on had um, a graduate degree I did while I was working. They're very supportive to get a graduate degree. I, I chose to go into technology management and was able to get, you know, a, uh, not, a, not an MBA, but MBA uh, training, uh, many courses taught by MBA professors. 
management training along the way. Uh, so IDM is an integrated developer from chips all the way to end products. Uh, I think, uh, you know, IBM for me was a, a just a great way. I, I, I learned a lot. I think I, was, uh, I feel proud I was able to contribute a lot back. The uh, products did very, very well uh, during the tenure I was there. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, IBM is clearly a storied company in the, uh, when you look in the annals of uh, computer development. Yeah, when you were there, so many things were happening. You know, two of them that I remember pretty well were like the browser wars and then the the processors just, I remember driving uh, over this bridge and there was this billboard and it felt like every time we drove over that bridge, it would be like a new version of the processor being up up on the screen. I was like, oh, what number is it today? Uh, and so it was very competitive. Do you have any good good memories or stories from either the browser wars or the uh, competition in the processor space from being at IBM? Well, back up before the browser wars, let's just talk about the advent of the PC because okay. that really shook up the industry. And IBM had been known for proprietary, uh, you know, uh, approaches and and uh, looking at the PC space uh, to really open it up, actually published the specifications. Of, of you know how to build a PC and it just it spawned an entire industry. Uh, many of us working in the development of computers today uh, wouldn't just would not have such a robust uh, a field to be able to work in had that uh, PC not been uh, had been uh, opened up uh, to create a, a standard. And then again, the idea was let performance, let differentiation went went out. Uh, very similar to you know to our thinking uh, that I described to you at AMD. Uh, and you, you look at uh, there, there's there's always been uh, I'll say wars uh, you know there was uh, you know VHS versus Betamax which many of the listeners here won't even know what I'm talking about but the, <laughs> you know the uh, the old videotape uh, standards uh, there was uh, operating system standards I mean you know Windows and Mac OS uh, Linux are are so prevalent today but but uh, you know think about the whole myriad of other operating systems that are still legacy operating systems or very active uh, operating systems today, uh, but, you know, uh, have had various uh, battles on the way. And browsers, just another example of that. I mean, uh, such development of, a, a, you know, with, uh, you know, the very start uh, with Mozilla and, and uh, you know, early, uh, uh, early browsers, uh, and, and now it's a very robust competition. Uh, so I, that, I, I think it's just symptomatic of, of the industry is competition is good. And, and the best way to have competition is to have an open framework, to have a set of standards that that we can compete with each other, but yet still work together. Uh, and when you have that, you create a very vibrant and robust uh, technology ecosystem. The end users, the customers, they benefit. Uh, so we're we're big believers of that uh, at at AMD. I just think it's just proven uh, to be uh, the path. Uh, to the most impactful innovation at the end of the day. And that's something that exists in the industry right now between you and the competing chip manufacturers. They all use a similar standard. Uh, and many areas, yes. And in many areas, there's a lot of uh, hard work required uh, for us to be able to land on those standards. Um, you know, look at um, uh, how, uh, you know, you just look at a PC. You, you plug a, a connector in, you use a USB. That's a standard. Uh, and and that's very actively uh, worked on. This, or the other the other big interconnect standard is uh, PCIe. Uh, and so you know that those type of interconnect standards are evolving, and and I think the industry is is working very very well. 
The, the next uh, big challenge I see uh, is in software, particularly around machine learning uh, and landing on standards there that can create an open ecosystem. This is something we're very committed to. Uh, we've opened up our software stack around machine learning. Others are proprietary uh, that are out there, but you, you're starting to see more collaboration in, on this front. Uh, and we're certainly very, very active in promoting that. And then another area, uh, Joel, that I would say is security. Everybody has to trust uh, that uh, whatever computer you're working on, that your data is safeguarded. And so I'm starting to see a lot more uh, collaboration in the industry on security and, and making sure that all of us can have full trust in the computing. Uh, we just uh, you know, rolled out a set of features uh, with our servers that can allow encryption where the user controls, they have the keys, they control uh, that uh, unencrypting uh, the data. Uh, it's, it's, and um, in fact, uh, Google uh, Cloud just uh, rolled out uh, just a few weeks ago what they call confidential computing that uses those those keys and, and protects that. VMware just announced a support for our encryption uh, capability last week, and others are coming uh, and uh, partnering with us as, as well. So yeah, it, there's there's a number of areas for uh, collaboration uh, that uh, that we can build on success stories we have and do even more. Are there big companies like this in other parts of the world that we don't know the brand of, or is this just what is available in the world? Like the, when we talk about like the AMDs or like the Intels and like the different, is that like a global thing? Or if, if I went over to like a country like that maybe doesn't have English as a primary language, they would have an entirely different, similarly sized processor manufacturer. Processing uh, development, processor development is international. Uh, so we are a multinational a company. Our competitors are multinational. Uh, we have engineers across the world, sales and distribution across the world. So, uh, you know, computing, uh, commodity computing like we do, x86, GPU, uh, you know, the, the world needs computing and that, that's who we service. Nice. So I'll, back to back to your time at IBM. Um, when you, you were there 26 years, then you move over, you could have done anything you wanted in the world. Like anybody would have hired you. They'd be like, come lead us, Mark, right? So why did you choose AMD? And what was the story like about like how you met them and, and how that all went down? Well, I had, uh, I had known AMD uh, for years because I had, uh, at, at IBM, I'd used their uh, chip technology and used it very successfully. Uh, and I always uh, really admired uh, the innovation of the engineers there, just, just fantastic. And the culture. Culture was one of engineering collaboration. Uh, and so uh, I got a, a call from uh, a gentleman who had been the head of R&D uh, uh, during my time at at uh, IBM and he was on the board at AMD. And uh, he said, Mark, this is uh, an opportunity of a lifetime to have an impact in the industry. And I, I said, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. I've got these other things going on. He said, uh, this, this was Nick D'Onofrio. And Nick said, uh, Mark, if you don't uh, take this role, CTO and, and run the technology and engineering, I might need to come out of retirement because it's, it's that kind of opportunity. And uh, I have such immense respect for Nick. I said, Nick, you don't have to come out of retirement. I, I'm going to take this uh, this role, and it, it has been phenomenal. I've um, I probably never worked harder and never had more fun in my life. Oh, that's awesome! And I think that's useful when you share stories like that because other people are, you know, at companies for a long time and they're curious about like what the next move is for them. And I find that 
from the feedback I get from the audience that just stories of how things go down tend to be some of the best way to, to help. Cause that's what we're here to do. Like help the next generation of, of leaders not make the same mistakes, right? Do better than we did. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's a responsibility all of us have to, uh, you know, to uh, mentor others and pass it on. What are some of the lessons that you've learned multiple times over? Well, uh, probably the biggest uh, lesson is just just communication and transparency. I mean, we stress it amongst our teams. Uh, I stress it. My leaders uh, and uh, my team stress it. Um, when you when you don't have just open and candid communications, uh, you you you. you you just aren't working on the right things. You know, people, anyone that they think that they can sweep a problem under the, under the mat and it goes away, it's just wrong. Uh, problem festers. I mean, so you really, uh, you know, I think the one of the things that I always uh, stress is, uh, and I, I touched on a little bit earlier, create the right culture, create a culture for openness. Uh, that in turn uh, creates a culture for better problem so- solving. That in turn creates a, a culture uh, for um, you know better innovation and risk taking and risk management. Make sure you take the right amount of risk, not too much risk. It just all builds on itself, but it starts with that foundation of of phenomenal uh, communication uh, and, uh, and and collaboration. I like that communication is something that you work at it. I mean, it's it's a it's a hard muscle to keep really strong. Like it seems like you're always working at it, right? Well, Joel, you're pretty darn good at it, uh, given, you know, given when I look at what, uh, what you do. <laughs> Congrats. Thank you so much for the kind words. I really appreciate it. Um, we, we have actually about 10 minutes left here. And I was just curious, one of the things that people have been asking us, and we have not done this yet, is they've been asking us to put together like s- small groups, right, of people so they can talk because they said like 50s too many when they go to a conference or whatever, they, they kind of want a group of like, you know, eight or so, maybe seven, eight people to get together and like talk about whatever the topic of the group is, whether it's, you know, hyper growth or just being a CTO. And so now I'm, I'm kind of soliciting feedback from people because I've never been a part of one of those groups. Like I speak a lot, so I'll go speak at groups and things like that, but I've never participated in one of these small groups or mastermind type things. Have you ever done so? Do you have any experience there? Yeah, let me give you a couple of comments. First of all, I, I do think that's extremely important. So first, uh, I'll say, what do we do internally at AMD, particularly with COVID-19 and many working from home, uh, and most all working from home? We have, a, you know, uh, uh, quite a bit of uh, our locations are still in a work from home mode. And, you know, what we found is uh, it caused us to even expand what we used to do before. We used to have small meetings. Uh, where, you know, a, a cohort, where a small group of people could get together, uh, talk about what's going on. Hey, what challenge are you facing? Well, how did you solve it? And you hear how another person uh, may have an idea about solving that problem. So uh, just in any company in the industry, I'm sure uh, most are doing what we are. They're really supporting that and getting virtual, like the mobile meeting today, getting many uh, small cohorts where, it's cohorts where it's easy to to get that kind of dialogue going on. Uh, but we used to all be able to network and go to an industry event and and have those kind of uh, side discussions and or you know in, in a hallway at a in an industry uh, get together and so uh, more than ever I do think there's a need I have participated in in uh, several uh, where we've you know so obviously pre COVID but now post COVID it's been a format like here where we've had uh, uh, you know a number of uh, CTOs 
Uh, we've done this, uh, you know, CTO, CIOs, you know, technology folks, uh, and just create a, a, a forum for discussion. Uh, I personally found it very beneficial. So I recommend, uh, I do recommend it. So you, yeah, because we're all about what's useful to people because that's our, that's our mission. So when you said CTOs together, is that like within AMD, like different business unit CTOs, or have you been a part of groups that are like another type of group? Yeah, no, I've done, so both. So I did give you that example internally, but what I was referring to in the last comment was uh, externally. So I have uh, participated in, in some uh, CTO uh, roundtables, some CIO roundtables, uh, and, and again, it was uh, good to hear how other people uh, were dealing with uh, challenges uh, with COVID-19 environment and, and just other uh, industry challenges. Do you have, and we can cut this part out if you'd like, but do you have any favorite ones or ones I should look into? And, and do you remember which ones you were a part of that I could go check out? Um, not, not anyone uh, specifically. I mean, there's different CTO uh, uh, forms that are out there. I, I think they're all, uh, they're, they're all very good, but uh, yeah, I can uh, offline, I'll shoot you, uh, let me uh, get you the uh, connection points and I'll, I'll shoot it over to you. Yeah, I don't want to give you too much work <laughs> or to do list, you're a guest here, but if it, if it comes up and it's easy, that would be great because sure. just, I'm curious, I would like to participate in one because if people are asking me to do one, I'm like, well, let me go participate in one first <laughs> and see what it's like, right? That's a great idea. Now, is there anything, uh, we've got about six minutes left. Is there anything that we didn't get to that you want to get out there into the world? Well, I, I think, um, uh, you know, the thing I would uh, just challenge all the listeners to do is, you know, just think about uh, the dialogue that's, that's occurring. I mean, it's, it's a turbulent time in our society right now. Uh, and, you know, we sometimes, uh, you know, your audience is a technology audience. And so we can say, well, that's not us. We're not, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, we're not uh, having to get in the middle of that. But I think all of us, you know, it's a time where our technology is more important than ever. Uh, we are enabling uh, people to take on challenges like COVID-19. Uh, we're enabling people, whether it be in, in their, their work, at their play, to be more productive and more effective. Uh, and and I would um you know, that I did spend some time with you today, Joel, uh, just talking about, I think, aspects that often go untouched, and that is the very culture uh, that each of us uh, develop in our, in our workspace. And, and, you know, how, what are we, each of us doing uh, to create a workplace that's, um, you know, that's fair, that's, you know, that's diverse and just values everyone's, everyone's opinions? Uh, I think those are, are, are really key uh, elements of a, of a successful and thriving uh, technology and engineering uh, culture. And, and so that, that would be, you know, if I was to leave one challenge to your listeners, that would be it. Oh, awesome. So, so well-spoken. What a professional. I was, I was so excited to have you on and I'm even more excited to have you on again next year. We can catch up. So we did it, my friend. We made a podcast. How do you feel? I love it, Joe. It was just, an, it was just a fun conversation with you. Thank you so much for coming on, Mark. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.